to these verses. I want to intentionally begin with these New Testament verses. And if if you really want to pay close attention, then you'll find that the first two verses that I'm about to read are are, are grouped together. And you you might discern, maybe, what's the subject. And then the next two New Testament verses that I'm read are also grouped together under a certain subject. And then I'll read one more. I do want to say at the outset that we're talking about marriage. And marriage is all about God and his people. Here's the first two. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. That's 2 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, A wife, listen, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Those are my first two New Testament passages. There's my next two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. And Matthew 19 says this from Jesus. Jesus says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. There was two, and then there was two others, and here's one. My friends, marriage is all about Christ and the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, Ephesians 5, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Well, let's let's notice five things from the Bible this morning. Let me go ahead and give you those. Let's notice five things. Let me tell you right now that numbers one and five are the same, and we're already done with number one. If that, maybe that'll encourage you. You know, we've got five things today. Well, we're done with number one, and number one and five are the same. Here they are. Here they are. Number one, marriage. Marriage is all about Christ and the church. Number two that we'll see today, marriage. Marriage and Solomon's downfall. Number three. Marriage, two threats to God's plan for marriage. Two threats to God's plan for marriage. Number four, one threat to God's plan for marriage. Number five, marriage is all about God and his people. It is all about Christ and the church. So that's where we're going. Let's jump in. 
We jump right into number two, marriage and Solomon's downfall. Marriage and Solomon's downfall. Notice it with me. Look at the Bible. Look at the text. Look at the word of God. It's good for us to be here this morning. There is grace for you, for us, through Jesus Christ. He says in verse 2, in the middle of verse 2, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after, other, after their gods. We see here again the heading number two. Heading number one was marriage is all about Christ and the church. Heading number two, marriage and Solomon's downfall. Marriage and Solomon's downfall. Now just notice here. Let's just get the lay of the land of the text. I want you to see that he had a heart that was divided, that was turned away. I just want you to notice just from the words of the Bible here this morning, just notice how central this is. Obviously, the author of this passage wants us to see how central this is. What? How central what is? That Solomon had a divided heart that was turned away. Notice in verse 2. You shall not enter into marriage with them. Again, this is the middle. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Notice verse 3. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives, what? What does it say? His wives turned away his heart. We'll look at verse 4. For when Solomon was old, and I pause and encourage the older saints among us to finish your journey well. When Solomon was old, his wives, same thing, you're right, it's, it's a repetition, turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. What? as was the heart of David, his father. Look at verse 9. And the Lord Yahweh, uh, we were singing the psalm, Jehovah was angry with Solomon. Why was the Lord angry with Solomon? Because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had, who had appeared to him twice. So one thing we notice just on the right on the surface of the text is that Solomon, do you see, did you see it in the Bible? Solomon has here a divided heart. He has turned away. So what's going on? Boys and girls of all ages, what's going on in this passage this morning? Well, the thing that we most gravitate to, of course, probably is the fact that he has uh, 700 wives, right? And a thousand or 300 concubines which adds up to a thousand, right? He's got a thousand women. That's what we, if we know this passage, boys and girls, if you know this passage, you might know this, you might know other things about it, and we're going to notice other things about it. But everyone, we think about, this is what's going on. Now this passage, as we've already said, is about marriage and Solomon's downfall. 300 concubines, 700 wives. Now if you read the book of 1 Kings You read chapters 3 through 10, 
and it is nothing but a high point for the most part. I mean, there's hints. There are hints, listen, in chapters 3 through 10 that, that there may be some problems forthcoming because everything's not squeaky clean, and I'll say that in a good way, but in chapters 3 through 10, for the most part, I mean, Solomon is the Lord's man. He's the Lord's king. He prays and he does not ask for wealth or power. He asks for wisdom. And the queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. And Solomon, most centrally, he builds the temple. And so 1 Kings 3 through 10 is wonderful. And it's, it's high point after high point. And then boom, and you get to, to chapter 11. And, and just to make this maybe all the more practical, think about this question. I, sorry, I'm not going to give you like a super satisfactory answer to it today. But what are you going to do as you think about this issue of his 700 wives? What about today? And Pastor Ben led the section on, on this many, many weeks ago on Wednesday night. What are you going to do if you're in some part of the world, maybe here in our country, but what are you going to do if you're in some part of the world and you're a part of a new church plant where the name of Jesus Christ is not named uh, very much at all in that place? And so you're seeking to plant the gospel and to plant a church. By the way, by the way, I hope that would not be only a hypothetical maybe for somebody here today. But for young ladies and especially for young men and for men, that the Lord may raise up ministers and missionaries which is not the height of spirituality, but is needed. It is needed for men to serve as elders and pastors and missionaries. But what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do if you're a, a member of that new church as a missionary or you're a leader and somebody is converted to Christ and they are in a polygamous marriage? What are you going to do then? They, they, they've been saved by Jesus Christ from the wrath of God and this man who is converted to Christ has multiple wives. What are you going to do? We'll, we'll tuck that away for a second. Uh, marriage and Solomon's downfall. That's what we know about this passage. It's famous. And, and, we, and we might say that this passage has everything to do with his unbridled lust and his unquenchable thirst for sex because clearly that's part of it. And it is part of it, but there's more to it than just that. Look at it again. Look at verse 1. 1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. What type of foreign women? And by the way, we all know, right? We all know when it says foreign women, the emphasis is not on foreign as though uh, a white person has to marry another white. That's not what it's talking about. What type of foreign women? Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, etc., etc. Do you remember what I said to you that 1 Kings 11 in some ways is like, what? How, how does this happen? If you've got... Chapters 3 through 10, and it's pretty glorious. Can I show you something? Flip back to chapter 3. I want you to see this. 1 Kings chapter 3. Keep your place, of course, in 11. I 
I want you to see the first half of verse 3 of 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, 3. And, and let me just encourage you to look at the Bible with me this morning at a couple of different texts. 1 Kings 3, 3, notice this. Solomon loved Yahweh. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. What does it say? It says he was walking in the statutes of David, his father. Keep that in mind. But what's the primary thing it says? Solomon loved the Lord. And then you get to chapter 11. And what does it say? What does it say in the first verse of First Kings 11? King Solomon loved many foreign women. Do you see? It was a heart divided. It was a heart turned away. Oh, dear friends, listen, dear friends, the heart is the issue. Jesus said it's out of the heart that comes man's sin. It's not what's stapled on the outside. The heart is the issue. The heart is the issue. The issue is a divided heart. How tragic, how tragic that a, a, can we call him a believer? At least in one sense, we can say this believer, 1 Kings 3, 3, Solomon loved the Lord. 1 Kings 11, Solomon loved many foreign women. It goes on to say, I believe at the end of verse 2, he what? He clung to them in love. He clung to them in love. That word in our text today, when it says in the ESV that he clung to them in love, is used, listen, it's used in other places of the Bible when God's people are called to be devoted to Yahweh. When God's people should be tethered, should cling to Him in love. Oh, He had a divided heart. Do you see He had a divided heart? The issue is a divided heart. Verse 9 of chapter 11. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away. Do you see that? Chapter 11, verse 9, his heart had turned away from the Lord. The issue is the affections. Again, verse 1, he loved many foreign women. The end of verse 2, Solomon clung to these in love. Now, part of having a thousand women was to make political alliance. It was the smart, savvy thing to do. It, the the, the non-Christian world would have said, bravo, man. That's the way to do it. You make political alliances and you seal the political alliances through marriage. So there's that part of it. But the scripture says that Solomon loved these women. He probably didn't know every one of their names, but he loved them. Do you see? He loved them. The issue is the affections. The issue is the word of God. The word of God. The Lord had appeared to him before. The Lord had commanded him. Listen, it had been plain. This was, in many ways, high-handed disobedience to the revelation of God. Oh, my friend, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart today. Do you have a divided heart? I'm asking you this morning, do you have a divided heart? Or by grace and by grace alone, are you wholly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? I do not ask if you're perfect or if you never sin. That's none of us. But if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are a Christian, are you wholly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Mother, are you? Husband, are you? Teenager, 
older person, look at me. Are you wholly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ or like Solomon and unlike David? Unlike David, do you have a divided heart that turns away from the Lord? Let me tell you, I want to say a word about intermarriage this morning, and I want to say a word about polygamy, but those are not the main issues. The main issue is idolatry. The main issue here in this text is idolatry. Number one, marriage is all about Christ and the church. Number two, marriage and Solomon's downfall. Number three, two threats to God's plan for marriage. Two threats to God's plan for marriage that we see in this text. The whole sermon's about marriage. These are two threats. Not that our sovereign God can ever be ultimately thwarted. But these are very substandard approaches to marriage. One of them is polygamy. And the other one is intermarriage. And again, I don't think I need to clear it up when I say intermarriage. I'm not talking about merely uh, marrying between races or something like that. I'm talking about the people of God and those who are not the people of God, Christians and non-Christians. The Bible is clear. Not everyone who says that they are a follower of Jesus Christ will be recognized by Jesus Christ on the last day. Would you listen? Not everyone who says that they are a follower of Jesus Christ will be recognized as such by Jesus Christ on the last day. Two threats to God's plan for marriage are polygamy and intermarriage. And I don't think I have to show you too closely from this text. It's right there on the surface, right? King Solomon loved many foreign women. Verse 2, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. Why? Because God is a cosmic killjoy. No. No, for they will surely, surely, <laughs> the wisest man who ever lived ended up living like a fool. Do you see? Who do you think you are? The Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Let me remind you of those passages earlier. The first two passages that I shared at the beginning of the sermon from the New Testament, both from Corinthians, have to do with intermarriage. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You heard that phrase? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, listen to what our Wednesday night author has to say. Listen to Neuheiser here. Some Christians claim that they plan to use their dating relationship for the purpose of evangelizing their boyfriend or girlfriend. When a believer opts to pursue a romantic relationship with an unbeliever, it is usually the believer who is being influenced. The very fact that a believer is willing to choose this other person over his or her relationship with the Lord is a dangerous compromise. More compromises are likely to follow. If the wisest man who ever lived could be turned into a fool by marrying outside the faith, that's what Solomon's doing here, right? He's marrying outside the faith. How much more should we all be aware of our own romantic choices? And then he says this, just claiming to be a Christian is not enough. 
Young people, parents, the scripture is plain. The scripture is clear. A wife is bound to her husband only as long as she lives. If her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Paul says, am I not free to take a believing wife? The Old Testament is really clear about this. No intermarriage between God's people and not God's people. The New Testament continues the same idea. Another threat to God's plan for marriage, we're under heading number three. Another threat to God's plan for marriage is polygamy. Polygamy. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 19. And you say, well, this doesn't address polygamy. Well, it does, doesn't it? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And what Jesus is doing, he's not quoting a scripture from after the fall. He's quoting a scripture on marriage from before the fall, from Genesis chapter 2. That matters. That matters. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So just by the way, Jesus doesn't say, and the four shall become one flesh, right? Or the, or the thousand in this case. No, Jesus in Matthew 19 hearkens back to God's original plan in Genesis chapter 2, pre-fall, because marriage is a creation ordinance. Marriage is a creation ordinance comes before the fall, it's from God, and he says they are no longer two but one flesh. You better believe, you better understand that although there is polygamy in this world, there's polygamy in this world today, absolutely. There was polygamy in the Old Testament. There was polygamy in the New Testament. The plan of God is clear. One man, one woman, for life, becoming one flesh. You see, the two shall become One, very quickly, let me uh, give this to you from Wayne Grudem. Why did God allow polygamy in the Old Testament? Very quickly, you can't, there's a lot to say here. Nowhere in the Bible did God ever command polygamy or tell anyone to marry more than one wife. Rather, God temporarily allowed polygamy to occur without giving it any explicit moral approval. Nevertheless, in the Old Testament stories, Whenever a man has two or more wives, it seems to lead to trouble. In addition, polygamy is horribly dehumanizing for women, for it does not treat them as equal in value to their husbands, and therefore it does not recognize that they share fully in the high status of being created in the image of God and of being worthy of honor as heirs with you of the grace of life. So so what are you going to do if you're in some part of the world And again, I say, I hope this would not be a hypothetical for one or more people here this morning who who obey the Great Commission in whatever way that we can. I hope it's not a hypothetical. May God raise up gospel ministers. What do you do if somebody's converted to Christ and uh, they're converted and they have multiple wives? Well, number one, you say, praise God for his grace because we are all sinners and deserving of hell. But Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for sinful people. He died and rose in the place as the substitute for sinners. Jesus died and rose for you if you will repent of your sins and trust in him today. So the first thing you do is rejoice. And I told you I wasn't going to give you an awesomely satisfactory answer. The one thing that you don't do is you do not make that man an elder because the scripture is very plain about that. You can talk about other things and you should talk about other things in tandem with that local church and in tandem with those elders but I will just leave it here. The one thing you don't do 
is according to 1 Timothy 3, 2, therefore an overseer, listen, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Literally, it means a one-woman man. By the way, the calling for elders in the Bible is actually not very different from the calling for every Christian. Very similar. And an elder must be a one-woman man. These are two threats to God's plan for marriage. Number four, let me review one more time. Number one, marriage is all about Christ and the church. Marriage and Solomon's downfall, number two. Number three, two threats to God's plan for marriage, which are polygamy and intermarriage. Number four, one threat to God's plan for marriage. Number four, one threat to God's plan for marriage. The issue is not intermarriage, although that is an issue. Do not be unequally yoked. By the way, let's be honest with Scripture, of course. Do not be unequally yoked doesn't apply in that context only to marriage. It does, but it applies to all types of relationships, all types of relationships, including marriage, including engagement. Oh, I think, I think we've got to wake up sometimes with this. This is important. God cares about this. But that's actually not the issue here. That's not the issue. Polygamy is not the issue here. It's an issue. It's an issue. The issue is the same thing that we've already said. It's a heart divided, turned away from the living God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. My friend, if you have ever, and I pray that this morning, this is also true of you. If you have ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then by grace and not by your own efforts, But by His grace, you will say, this is the best thing I've ever tasted in my life. And I will follow Him. And I will do so imperfectly. But I want to to be a Christian. I want to follow the Lord. I don't want to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I find this God so compelling. I find His Christ so beautiful. I find the power of His Holy Spirit so drawing of me. You see so many today in the professing church And I am not actually trying to be overly heavy, but so many in the professing church experience what the Scripture so plainly talks about, that you can start out well. Listen, you can start out well, and you can drift into what? Into apostasy. That's what's going on with Solomon here. He starts out so well. Solomon loved the Lord. He did. He continued to worship the Lord as he was building worship sites for other gods. He had a heart divided, turned away. The issue, the issue in this passage is idolatry. I need you to see this. Keep your place and turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, verse 16, and I would encourage you later to go back to verse 14 and following. 
Deuteronomy 17, 16, the Lord speaks about when Israel will have a king. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt, Deuteronomy 17, 16, in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Uh, Is that interesting? You see that? You might also jot down Deuteronomy 7. I wish we could look there. We can't. Deuteronomy 7. But Deuteronomy 17, 17. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. Can I tell you something? Maybe you've heard this before. It's a little bit trite, but it's true. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. It's been said before, and it's, maybe it's a little bit trite, but isn't there a, a strong kernel of truth in it? This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Not in a works type way. Not in a way like I've got to, well, to be a Christian, I've got to go to church and I've got to read the Bible. But because I'm a Christian, because God has saved me, like he saved the Israelites out of Egypt, he redeemed me through the blood of Christ. And I know, I know, like it says about the kings here in Deuteronomy 17, the, the king needs to write his own copy of the Bible. And not only write his own copy of the Bible, he needs to meditate on it. Why? Because he loves God. And your words were found, and I ate them, and they were a delight to me. Your words were found, and I ate them, and they were a delight. Sin will keep you from this. Listen to me, young people. Sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. And he wrote down his own copy of the scriptures, and he meditated on them, and he did the very things that Deuteronomy 17 said a king should not do. He did the very things that God said in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, that the kings, future kings of Israel should not do. I don't know if you're still there, but I will tell you this in Deuteronomy 18, 15, just one chapter over. You've listened well. Would you look at this if you're still there or would you at least listen, listen to this? Deuteronomy 18.15 The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. There's one very simple message that we should not miss in all of this. King Solomon was great. He was the wisest man ever. Powerful. Had a thousand women. He had riches. And he failed miserably. But he was the king. And it shows us over and over and over again the history of God's people. Hey, that's the king. He's our hope. Nope. That's the king. He's our hope. Nope. And finally, just like it speaks of here in Deuteronomy 18.15, we need a better prophet, priest, and king. We need a much superior prophet, priest, and king. And just like Moses was a prophet, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Oh, and by the way, the New Testament says explicitly, the New Testament says that's the Lord Jesus Christ who, listen, he lived a perfect life of righteousness. He died the sinner's death in the sinner's stead. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. The Lord Jesus looked to Christ, 
Look to the Lord Jesus. He is the prophet like Moses. He is the king, Deuteronomy 17, who fulfilled what the Lord said and did not disobey like every single king. It's interesting here, and we can't go into it, but in 1 Kings 11, back in 1 Kings 11, the author says this. He says of Solomon, he says, you did not follow the Lord wholly like your father David. Anybody know about David? He says more than once, Solomon did not wholly follow the Lord like his father David. My friend, if you are a sinner, you're in the right place this morning. Because God looks at his people. If you're truly his, his people, by a new creation through Jesus Christ, God looks at his people, his disciples in the New Testament, and David in the Old Testament, and he says, that's my man. He says, that's my servant. He said, David followed me with a whole heart. Are you kidding me? David did not follow the Lord with a whole heart. He murdered. He broke basically all of the Ten Commandments. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Adultery cuts. Listen, adultery cuts at the very heart of marriage. It's not that you can't get over it. You can by the grace of God. But adultery cuts at the very heart of the covenant. And David did not fully fully and wholly follow the Lord. But God says he did. And so that's the truth. And so that's the truth. And that's the truth of you and I in Christ Jesus, robed in the righteousness of Christ. He says, she followed me whole, holy. He followed me holy. Not Solomon. Solomon's a picture of apostasy. Listen to me. Solomon's a picture of spiritual drift. Solomon is an example to us today of spiritual drift. Older people, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Let us help you and would you help us by today, this morning, saying, you know what? I can't coast. I can't coast. I need to, all of us, all of us need to press on. Perseverance. Perseverance. Marriage is all about Christ and his church. Marriage is all about Christ and his church. God did not invent marriage and then look at it and say, yeah, that's, uh, that kind of goes with Christ and the church. No, God had, we might say, in his mind, the gospel, Christ and the church And marriage from Genesis 2 was always meant to be a pointer to that. I read you these verses in closing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hear the gospel this morning. Hear the gospel that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us in Proverbs, which we have considered this summer, your word tells us to make our number one priority in Proverbs 4.23 that we guard our hearts. So would you help us? 
Help us even now to confess and repent of idolatry, of spiritual drift. Father, hallowed be your name among us. Would you hallow your name? And would you help us again that we might guard our hearts? This is the priority. We thank you, Lord God, that your faithfulness is greater than our unfaithfulness. It's way greater. And may we focus on Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you.